Hi everyone, EJ here. Welcome to the Fire 2 On Air Guide to the Volcano Factions. Oh, the Volcano Factions. They are so weird and scary. But don't worry, because Matt the Lesser is here to give you his expert opinion on how to play um, the Dragon Lords and the Acolytes. So Matt is a veteran of the Fire and Ice Ladder, as well as a player on the live scene, played in the uh, most recent Fire 2 tournament. Um, so he's got some great advice of how to play. We're going to talk about um, sort of the basics of the faction and how they work, and then talk about some strategy and some way to play them. Um, yeah, so I hope this is interesting. Like I've been saying, not sure how easy or hard a, a guide, a faction guide through audio is going to work, but I'm going to put the, um, the picture of the faction boards in the show notes. So if you have a look at the show notes, hopefully if you hit the link, you can see both the faction boards. So I think, you know, if you're watching, it might be useful to follow along and, and see the faction board while you do it. So that's worth doing if it's safe to do so. Um, yeah, so I hope this is useful. Um, let me know what you think. Get in touch if you find this useful or not. Um, yeah, thanks to Matt for his time. Um, let's get into it. The Volcano Factions. Here we go. I realized, I don't know if I made it clear that I was only expecting you to do like one of the either variable uh, volcano or ice. But I don't know if you had a preference of what you wanted to actually talk about. Yeah, it's funny. I actually wanted to ask you that. I mean, I'm happy to do ice or volcano. I feel like I have a, a pretty good experience with all four of those factions. I've played the variable ones, particularly shapeshifters, like very, very little. So, uh, although I, I am actually probably going to do my Zorus best game on a Riverwalkers game. Uh, but, uh, I guess if, I guess if, if there's no other preference, I'd probably go volcano just cause I feel like I have more to say there. Uh, although I did write a huge board game geek ice maidens post once. So I don't know. I can <laughs> kind of go both ways. And I feel like Volcano is the one that most people are a bit less sure about. So if you are confident with Volcano, I think it's a good idea to go ahead and do that one. Yeah, let's let's do it because it's they're tr they're trickier than Ice. Ice is more similar to a normal uh, faction. Like the Yetis are basically like fancy alchemists, and the Ice Maidens are like somewhere between like Orin and Swarmlings. Um, so oh. yeah, it's not that different. That's that's a good line. I might use that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I love love the ice maidens. They're one of my favorite factions to play. But okay, uh, I actually think the volcano ones are more interesting. Cool. Okay, let's let's do volcano then today, and then yeah. All right, let's do it. So the first thing is the overview of the terrain in general. So the volcano. This is what I do know is that they are. Yeah, like we were saying, kind of the weirdest ones because you're not on a fixed color wheel. Um, 
and the transformation is a bit different, right? Yeah, exactly. So the the weird one is that you pick you pick a color to start on, um, and this is actually one thing I don't know what they're going to do with the implementation. I assume that uh, you will the person who throws the volcano faction into the auction will have to choose the color that they're going to start on then. Oh, because of the auction, yeah. Right, because whereas in, like, if you play in turn order like you do on Snellman, if you pick a volcano faction, you then don't pick your color until after all of the factions have been picked, um, which can mean if you pick a volcano in like seat one or two, it actually is very tricky for the people sitting in like seat three and four because um, they don't know what color volcano is going to going to end up starting on, uh, which can be really tricky. But then once you pick that starting color, which will be where you place your first two dwellings, uh, after that, the color wheel, the, the actual wheel aspect is completely irrelevant. And the only thing that matters is um, if the colors are colors of your opponents or not. And so for both volcano factions, it's more expensive to transform uh, terrain that is your opponent's home color than uh that's not so that's a big thing to keep in mind yeah yeah so the two factions are the dragon lords and the acolytes uh which one do you want to talk about first any preference uh i don't know let's talk let's talk about the dragon lords i feel like they are actually more their power is more straightforward and it's funny because i remember the first time that i saw the description of the dragon lords i was like oh my god, these guys are so strong. It's so easy to transform (laughs) something, right? I mean, they have, unlike almost every other faction in the game, spades are just never a concern for them. Um, Because the way the the power works is you start with uh, eight power tokens, four in bowl one and four in bowl two. And anytime you want to transform a terrain, you take power tokens out of the game and you can take them from bowl one. Uh, you almost always want to take them from bowl one. So you're not wasting any, um, resources. Um, and so it's one power token to transform a train that is not your opponent's home color. And it's two, um, to do of your opponent's home color, which is quite expensive. Yeah. You will see, cause the, the thing that you get limited in is the number of those power tokens. Uh, at the beginning of the game, you only have, eight plus your original two, which would limit you to, uh, if you don't get any more, would limit you to a total of 10 hexes, which is not going to win anybody anything. Um, so you have to find, <laughs> yeah, you have to find a way to get, to get more than that. Um, but so that's the power. And so it feels very easy and you can and often do see the dragon lords uh, spread out to a lot of terrain very quickly. Um, but uh, as once you've played a couple games with them, uh, especially against good competition, you will quickly realize that uh, this power is not, I would say, in my mind, enough to overcome a lot of their efficiencies that exist elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they can be quite disruptive, right? Because you can just yes. kind of take hexes. Same as acolytes, I guess you can. Yes, yeah, yeah. both both volcano factions uh, being successful with them really does require being uh, aggressive and at times a bit nasty uh, to other to other folks um, you're kind of trying to create a lower scoring game often uh, trying to cut people off um, but 
to do it well, um, and, and well balanced, right? If you cut one faction off really badly, you might just be benefiting the other players in the game. So that, that's really where they, the trickiness with the aggression with the volcano factions comes in and good players will, uh, position themselves to make it difficult or costly for you, even, even as a volcano faction often to, to cut them off. So, um, mm-hmm. there is a bit of, there's a bit of skill. And the stronghold for dragon lords kind of makes up for this limited, uh, limited power tokens. Exactly. So the, the stronghold, which most dragon lords players will find is almost compulsory to build, um, at some point in the game, uh, gives you a number of power tokens, uh, from the supply straight into bowl one, um, equal to the number of players in the game. So in a four player game, um, you get four power tokens. Um, and that is great because you will need those power tokens to, to, uh, further expand, right? That would take your, from assuming you only dig non opponent home territory would get you from the potential of 10 hexes to 14, which is getting you into the range of, uh, potentially competing on network and three towns and, uh, things that as the dragon lords who don't have a natural scoring ability that you will probably want. Um, so yeah, most people will find that the stronghold is necessary. The, the really tricky thing with the dragon lords is it's an expensive stronghold. It's eight coins and workers are very hard to come by for them in general. And so it just costs a lot and it can really, really slow down your economic snowball. And so timing it right, um, is really, really important. Um, to being successful with the dragon lords okay cool cool and so yeah then the next question is what is their defining feature and i guess that is this it's this way that they transform right the volcano way of transforming yeah it's very much the way of of transforming um and you know one thing that we didn't say yet and is true for both volcano factions and the ice factions also is that once something uh once a uh hex is transformed into volcano or ice it cannot be transformed period ever again um by you or anyone else um so unlike any other faction you can transform something to your home color and then let it sit there for quite a while before building on it um if you so desire um or potentially can even transform things as blocks and then just leave them without any uh, recourse, you know, there's no triple dig or anything way to get it back for, for someone who needs that hex. So, um, that can be a very powerful ability. In fact, I've got a fire and ice letter game going on right now where I, I blocked a, a town from someone, uh, by transforming something with the acolytes to volcano three rounds ago. And it's still sitting there because I don't, I don't need the dwelling yet. I'll probably build it. I'll probably build it at the end of round six. Um, cause it's next to a town that I already have. So I just don't need it yet nice nice yeah um but so that's the yeah i'd say that the, that's definitely the defining feature for the dragon lords um and the other thing too and we should mention in terms of getting more power tokens to ultimately do more transformations the other way to do it is anytime you can get a spade um so if you get a spade via a cult bonus or um the spade uh bonus tile those become power tokens just sort of automatically into uh, the first bowl. So theoretically, if you were able to get enough of those, you could actually avoid building the stronghold. Um, there was, I did have a game one time that I won as the Dragon Lords where I didn't build the stronghold, but it's, 
um, you have to game plan for that a lot. Um, like if you have to go after the two key town and things like that um, to try to, to get enough of those uh, extra spades. Do you end up taking the spade bonus tile or taking like the double dig action much to get those power tokens? Bon, does the spade bonus tile? Yes, I would say uh, with the dragon lords. Because uh, that's still basically a spade, I guess. Right, right, exactly. It's still a spade and you still get the coins. And so it's funny, I, I see people say, oh, uh, having it not in the game is actually good for the Dragon Lords because they don't care about spades and it, it takes spades away from other players. But it takes spades away from you too. Um, mm -hmm. So I actually, I actually think that that's a good bonus tile to have in the game for the Dragon Lords. Um, the power actions i would say much less so um taking the the single spade or the double spade while yes you could take those and if you do it will give you power tokens into bowl one it is uh very hard to do that um partially because you power management is very very important uh, mm -hmm. as uh, dragon lords in general and oftentimes you get down to having pretty low amounts of power pretty quickly so like the odds that you even have six tokens at any time to take that action are, are pretty low. And if you do, you're much, much more likely to want to take the worker action or the coin action, um, or even just do straight coin conversions. Because the biggest thing with the Dragon Lords that's hard is just having enough resources. Um, and because we didn't get into this yet, but they don't have a basic worker income. Um, so most factions, even if you have no dwellings on the board, you produce one worker. The Dragon Lords and the Acolytes, too. If you have no worker dwellings on the board, you produce no workers. And that's six fewer workers over the course of the game. And it includes round one. So in round one, you have five workers. Everyone else has six. Um, well, besides like the Swarmlings and stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah, compared to a normal faction, you're one down and you're down that production the whole game. And then additionally, your fourth dwelling doesn't produce any workers. So workers are a real struggle for fire factions. Yeah, with engineers, that is to compensate for the fact that their buildings are so cheap that you get less income. But with dragon lords and acolytes, the buildings aren't any cheaper. They are not any cheaper. And in, yeah, in fact, the stronghold and sanctuary are both eight coins and kind of more expensive. So yeah, uh, you gotta you gotta find ways for for workers. Um, and I, you know, I, I think with dragon lords too, and this is getting into this, the strategies a little bit. A lot of people open with a dwelling rush. Um, and I do think that in many, many cases, that is the right approach. Um, and so you're often looking for like dwelling scoring. You'll see a lot of dragon lords when you, with dwelling scoring in round one because you need them to, to open up with enough workers to then sort of sustain the rest of the game. Um, you'll find as dragon lords, even if you just open like temple one dwelling which you or two dwellings one new dwelling um if you don't especially if you then go for like earth one or something you're gonna find yourself resource starved often pretty quickly mm -hmm. so you get those dwellings out and then so yeah are you are you not is there any like favor tile you'll go for or is it that you're generally not building a temple um if you're putting out a bunch of dwellings then you're probably not building a temple um if you do build a temple, I do think an, an economic favor is is often good. Um, both uh, Fire One and Earth Two are 
pretty good. You would almost, especially as Dragon Lords, you'd almost never want to go for Air 2 because you're going to run into power management issues pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Um, but both of the ones that just give, you know, good income are, are good depending on sort of whether the game is more worker short or, or coin short overall. Um, but the, the tricky part is you then like Dragon Lords, it's such a balance because you also don't have any inherent scoring. And so you, you know, if you don't have a high scoring track, um, you also kind of want Earth One. So, uh, you have to figure out where's the, where's the balance, which is one of the reasons why I, you know, I said it before, uh, round one dwelling scoring is really the most common situation for Dragon Lords. I think if you take that away, I would, much, much, much rather have acolytes in almost every situation. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, stronghold, you'll often need to get any kind of competition of network or um, like expansion network scoring. So like a, a sort of mid to late stronghold once you start running out of power tokens, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So you'll, you usually are going to want it in like round four or five, probably. So if there happens to be a big building, uh, scoring event there. That's really nice. Um, I wouldn't say it's like a prerequisite for Dragon Lords, but it's certainly, certainly nice. Um, the other one event situation that can actually be nice for Dragon Lords is if you have the fire big building scoring in round one, um, which is sort of one exception I would give to the dwelling scoring in round one because Dragon Lords start with two steps on fire. Um, and so then if you get either a priest or even just that inherent two steps gives you a free worker immediately back um, and can make up for some of that early worker deficit. Cool. Cool. Um, and so the, yeah, then the next question is like, are they, a, are they good? Are they a strong faction um, or a weak one in general? I would say they're a weak faction. I think they're easy to play and can be fun to play, especially for, newer players, but at, at higher levels, I think they're uh, not very good. In fact, I think it was Ranier who described them as a utterly garbage faction. I could be attributing that wrong, Ryan, so if it's, if it's not you, I apologize, but there was some Board Game Geek post where someone wrote that they're utterly garbage, um, okay. which I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I have seen some what I would call niche success with them uh, in the Fire and Ice Ladder, but I, I do think they are weaker, and my opinion has completely changed. When I first started playing with the factions, I thought the Dragon Lords were much better than the Acolytes, and my opinion has now done a 180. I think the Acolytes are much better and much more viable uh, in a much broader range of, of setups than the Dragon Lords. Okay, cool. Um, and then do they, if they are bad, do they have any places where they're particularly good uh, in terms of maps or expansion scoring with like uh outpost scoring or stronghold sanctuary distance or anything like that yeah they're they're very good with edge scoring um is probably the best of the expansion scoring for them because they can kind of just run along the edge pretty easily and that's true for the acolytes too um given that they're mostly color wheel agnostic um they also can do okay on distance um just because 
again, it's not like they can always get to all the corners without any issues, right? In, in high level expansion games, um, you'll often see people, those, those hexes in the very corners can be fought over pretty early. Um, and the dragon lord, and, but sometimes, but if the color is, you know, triple dig or something, then that makes a faction less of an issue. And that's never going to be a problem for, for dragon lords. Um, the, the clusters, I guess, could be okay. I've never really thought of them as like a, a particular clusters faction, but I guess I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. I think that the the potential reason maybe would be that dragon lords don't usually upgrade their shipping a lot um, because they don't need it to get territory. Right, the main advantage of advancing shipping for most factions is getting to free hexes of your color, which dragon lords don't have any um and so they tend they tend to like the bigger land masses where they can just kind of walk straight across the land so um fjords i've i've seen better success with them and same with um uh, the base map they can start over in the east kind of in that darkling swamp area um and do pretty well and, and actually can be quite disruptive for the factions that normally like to start over there, like Darklings and Cultists and Engineers, because um, they can kind of mess up some of those natural lanes that exist on that eastern continent. Cool, cool. Uh, and then are they... So it sounds like they are quite easy... Like you, you sort of mentioned it, they're kind of easy to play as a beginner because you can just, yeah, like magically transform everything and build on it, but then difficult to actually use effectively and to actually win at high levels with yeah i think that's right i mean if if you're the other thing i'd say is if your objective is to like not finish last then dragon lords are usually pretty good at that because they almost always inevitably screw over at least one person um, <laughs> so you're probably not going to get fourth very often but it's also very 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 hard to finish first in a, in a high level game and are they fun to play? Do you, do you like enjoy a game with Dragon Lords? Or? Uh, I've enjoyed some. Uh, I've not enjoyed others. I think that you're, it's, it's easier than you'd expect to have your economy kind of stall out. Um, mm -hmm. And that can be very frustrating. Because um, yep. yep. uh, then you feel like you can't really do anything. But more importantly, I would say that I hate playing against the Dragon Lords. They, they are because they can they're more effective than almost any other faction at screwing you over kind of if they want to um and so playing against them is like an exercise in paranoia of uh how do i minimize their interest or ability to negatively impact me um and especially knowing that that's like the way that they are going to succeed you have to really really you know be on the lookout a bit like playing giants with um, base factions, I guess. You've, you, they can take any of your hexes. Right, but I would say their, their ability to disrupt is actually way higher than giants. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so that is that kind of like what we're doing to play against them is we're basically just avoiding them and trying to protect our hexes. There's not really any way of specifically countering them. Yeah, I mean, I think that the... The key is it's dragon lords don't usually want to take your home hexes because mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's twice as expensive for them to do so. 
Um, and, and given they have a limited number of power tokens and therefore spades sort of total supply for the game, the, they usually don't want to do that. So the key is grabbing the hexes like one away from you, um, one transform away from you that you really need before they do. Um, okay. Yep. That's kind of the, if you're playing against them, um, like I'm thinking on awesome. fjords, for example. There's that on the eastern fjord. Um, uh, I often find dragon lords on that map will start as blue, um, and so they put themselves right in the middle of that continent. And so if you are black and starting on the bottom edge, or you're green starting kind of on the eastern edge, you want to claim that like brown or gray that's right next to the dragon lords, like turn turn one because if they take it and they will uh it's very bad for you yeah you see a lot of the the factions that do better against the dragon lords are the ones that can get spades early or like don't need to rely on their initial dwelling placements for town spots um okay because if the dragon lords place next to you like they will like to place next to you in your initial spots and, and that's going to be the easiest place for them to block whereas if you you know say you're like the mermaids and you place a dwelling somewhere as your initial one but then you end up building your town like kind of away or going the other direction the dragon lords won't right, they won't be able to get there as that fast they can their expansion is very concentrated around their initial placements yeah the only other thing is that we didn't talk about it in the expansion scoring um but um the sanctuary is a rarity for the dragon lords um so the sanctuary stronghold distance tile is bad for them um mm -hmm. and you often like just won't build it because it's expensive getting enough hexes for a town is like not usually a problem you can kind of go anywhere so get those four town neck four hex towns yeah yep. exactly yeah so the sanctuary is just not a not a big thing for for them that's really great i really like how you've gone through that i think that's really useful uh nice hello listeners ej here again that was the dragon lords didn't matt do a great job talking about them and now we can move on to the acolytes who are a bit more wacky uh one thing i noticed listening back to that is matt's audio file goes a bit wonky in places so apologies for him sounding a bit funny uh while i was thinking about it matt has also started streaming his twitch his games on twitch on a twitch channel which is twitch.tv slash matt the lesser so i will include that in the notes but go there follow him he broadcasts his first or one of his Tuesday League games and maybe he'll do some more so give him a follow uh, yeah so let's move on to Acolytes watch out for a funny moment shortly in where his other half walks in and succeeds in distracting him and putting off his flow I thought I'd leave that in because it's quite funny enjoy uh, cool okay so faction 2 of the Volcano factions is Acolytes uh what are acolytes and what is their key ability so the acolytes are they're similar to the dragon lords in that they are volcano factions and uh they have a cost 
that is unrelated to normal spades associated with how they transform. But in, in Acolyte's case, what they do is they drop down on cult tracks. Um, and the cost specifically is three steps on a cult track to uh, transform a, a, a hex that is not one of your opponent's home terrain and four steps to drop down of one that is your opponent's home terrain. Um, and so one thing to note there immediately compared to the Dragon Lords is the Dragon Lords to do an opponent's home terrain is twice as expensive, whereas uh, for the Acolytes, it's only 25% more expensive. Um, and so uh, it's much easier for them. Like they are much more of a threat to take an opponent's home terrain than the Dragon Lords are. Yeah. Um, and they to compensate for all this dropping the acolytes, they start at three steps on all four cults, um, which is nice and sort of uh, the way that most people think or the thing most people will realize pretty quickly is one of the cool things and ways to be successful with the acolytes is figuring out how to uh, optimize those cult bonuses um, and then use those same cult steps for transforming afterwards. So try to reel in those cult bonuses from all the steps on the cults that you're going to be generating. And then after you realize the bonus, you drop down and spend them as spades, right? So like say, for example, round one has a worker bonus on fire. You want to go up fire as much as you can, get those workers, and then next round, once the bonus has passed, drop down on fire um, for your for your transformations. Um, yeah, cool. So yeah, that's one of the big things with with acolytes um, and um, figuring out um, how far you're going to drop down and when and all of that um, is is tricky. It's one of the the um, harder things to plan for. Sometimes I was actually thinking about this that like when they put the acolytes in to board game arena, I think they're going to be one of the factions that sees the biggest um, skill challenge um, in translating from asynchronous play to live play because you on Snowman you have an infinite theoretically basically amount of time to plan out what you're going to do and in Acolytes figuring out all of the ups and downs of the cults over the course of the game and planning for all of that I think is going to be uh, hard on, on a time crunch Yes, yes, that's interesting. Uh, and then what does their stronghold do? Um, their stronghold, which is uh, in the realm of weaker strongholds, I would say a lot of acolytes don't build it at all. Um, and those that do probably build it late. But what, they, what it does is anytime um, that you use a priest to go up on the cults, you get an extra step. Um, so if you place it down on a you know, a two spot, for example, you actually get three. Um, if you place it on the one to go back into your supply, you actually get two spots. Um, and if you somehow manage to have an open three spot after you build your stronghold, you'd actually get four steps. Although, uh, that's an extremely rare occurrence. Yeah. You're probably not opening stronghold with that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so similarly there, you know, uh, this is maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but like similarly to the dragon Lords, they don't like the sanctuary stronghold scoring tile, but in this case, it's because they don't want to build their stronghold. Um, not the, sure. They, not the sanctuary. 
Cool, yeah. cool. So I guess again, the defining feature is is that way that they can quite easily volcano hexes and take them from opponents, and it, and like you said, more easily take home terrain away from opponents. Correct. Yeah, um, that is that's definitely the the thing with with the acolytes, um, and and then just their general cult play. I would say is the other thing. Um, they. Uh, you know, it, figuring out uh, how many priests, like priests are extremely important for them. Um, so unlike the dragon lords, opening with a temple is very standard. I would say almost always going to be your your opening with, with the acolytes. And, and for them, like a temple plus just two dwellings is, is fine. Or if you can get the worker action and open with temple and four dwellings, that's really nice. Um, but yeah, you want those priests coming in and you'll often want a second temple uh, pretty quickly um, because they're like the Dragon Lords and they only open with five workers. Uh, opening double temple, the Nerd Cube special is actually really hard because you're one worker short, even if you get like the big building bonus tile or something. Um, but but one temple in round one and another one in round two or three is, is pretty common because you want to send those priests to... Uh, to the cults to get up those cults so then you can come back down them yeah i guess like a, a three spot on a cult is basically a dig once you put it in plus you're getting power yeah because you're already high up yep and cult bonuses um and so uh yeah uh all those things are, are very good you'll see acolytes try to claim two or three of those three three step pre-spots usually pretty early um they'll take you know the priest bonus tile in the first round very often or uh, they start with they start with a very low amount of power. They start with six in bowl three and six in bowl two, but that is just enough to take the priest power action with your first move if you want to, which I've seen frequently from acolytes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then so yeah, like you, I think you mentioned, yeah, they also don't have any base worker income, and they also don't generate workers with their fourth dwelling is that correct that is correct Um, yeah so they they too can have worker issues and theirs i would say can actually be even more so than the dragon lords because they don't usually open by sending out a bunch of dwellings pretty quickly um Mm -hmm. because the thing is with the acolytes the balance of when you of going down on the cults and sacrificing potential future cult rewards uh in exchange for getting that um, terrain out. So I'd say the, the acolytes are kind of a like up and then out faction for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're, they're kind of, uh, you know, they're one of those factions, like they, the two key town, if this wasn't clear is really, really great and important for them. I mean, it's worth almost three cult steps in aggregate. Uh, you know, if you get eight, eight totals, almost worth three, uh, or sorry, three spades. Um, plus the power and the, you know, the other generally great things about that town. So trying to open, uh, with a, get a town pretty quickly. Um, and so somewhat unintuitively, actually, um, the sanctuary early is not like uncommon for the acolytes because it means that you can get that town without digging an extra hex early on. Um, so, that's actually valuable, um, even though you might think, oh, like, wouldn't you rather have another temple to generate another priest income? Well, 
taking away a worker income from the dwelling um, that you're putting it on top of when for a faction that is short on workers and and taking away your your cult steps so um, and yeah and if you beat swarmlings or cultists to the key, two key town then that's that's worth it exactly um so yeah um it's good it's good for that um and then the other thing the other thing with the with the acolytes is just like when the cult bonuses are coming and where is really really important to evaluating whether the track is good for them um they are um kind of like the cultists and that they like doubling up on good cults they like to see two bonuses um of the same color um but even more importantly for them is having them close by like it's really annoying as the acolytes if you have like an air bonus in rounds like one and four because then it's like you spend round one to go up them but then feel like you don't want to come down too far and waste what you're going to get in round four like what the ideal situation for acolytes is like air rounds one and two and then earth rounds like three and four or something like that um because you can go up and down in conjunction and then the thing that i wasn't sure when i played them is are you looking to win cults as acolytes? Is it worth staying up there in a cult to get, you know, eight points at the end of the game? Or are you better off spending those cult steps to get, you know, whatever it is, two or three digs? Yeah. It often, de- it often depends on, I would say, you're probably, as the Acolytes, going to win at most, like, one cult and then maybe get oh, a couple points on another one. Um, but... Uh, they, uh, sorry, my, uh, <laughs> fiance is in the background, uh, <laughs> laughing at me. Um, she, uh, <laughs> she anyways, doesn't play. She, she, she just, no, no, she does not. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I don't know what I was saying now. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, we were talking, what was I talking about, about winning coats, whether you win coats. Oh, right. Winning coats. So you might win one. Um, but you're probably not winning more than one. Um, and you might get a few bonus points, but the question of even whether you win that one is really going to be on whether you need those digs for another town or to compete on network. I think, you know, at the end of you, you often will have a literal direct trade-off of cult points versus network points and network is usually better. So oftentimes you'll see acolytes finish like with all of their cults, like, below the third step um mm. like if you want to get out like 15 structures that's going to be necessary um other times you'll see them go with a slightly smaller footprint and try to hang on to uh some cult points it kind of depends on what your competitors are doing frankly um so they do have that they do have the flexibility but i would say they're not like they're not like the cultists or the swarmlings where you're not getting 24 points from the cults with the acolytes most likely um yeah i i remember actually i i because on snellman you've got the vp projection like i could almost directly see like yeah if i go down to dig a hex i get this many points uh if i stay up and win whatever it was the fire cult then i get but again you're not going to have that on bga yeah it's going to be you're going to have to figure it out on the fly um and some of it too will depend on sort of how you're scoring too right so 
acolytes do have, you know, one of the things that are similar to the dragon lords in is that they don't have any inherent scoring. Um, and so they definitely need, you know, uh, favorite tiles, bonus tiles, track scoring to, to get a high enough score. Um, and so, uh, you know, they often, they're more likely to, you know, take earth one, for example, as their, as their opening favor, although a, a uh, economic favor is also very good for them. Usually, um, like earth two, I would say in particular can be very nice. Um, given the, given the worker, um, deficiencies, but you're going to want that second temple. And that one will usually be a scoring favor, um, pretty quickly. So we're thinking they're they're better than Dragon Lords, but are they good in the realm of other factions and the other expansion factions? Are they strong? I you know, I still would say that I think they're probably on the lower end um of factions overall. Um not at the you know, not at the bottom. They're not like giants or or in level. They're 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 in the middle somewhere. Um but yeah, I mean, I still wouldn't put them, you know, they're nowhere near like Darklings or uh, cultists in general. Um, I, it'll be interesting to see how things play out with the auctions, um, because in my experience with the Fire and Ice ladder on Snellman, where you don't have the auction, everyone starts with the same number of points. Acolytes are very often chosen in third or fourth seat, um, specifically to avoid getting into a bad color matchup. Mm. So, you know, right. So if you see if the first three picks on the wheel are darklings, cultists and engineers or something like that, I mean, on base map, we know that like, there's not really a good pick into that setup. If you pick a fire faction, it completely changes the calculus of the whole game um, in terms of the color wheel. And so um, like in those situations, they're way better than your alternatives. And so that's why you pick them and they, and they can be competitive in those situations. And so, um, one of the things I really appreciate about the whole fire and ice expansion is that I've felt like there's not this, you don't settle into this meta, um, around the, the wheel in the same way that you do in TM tour, for example. Yeah. I looked at like the top, the top game in the fire and ice ladder and you just you get like all sorts being picked and winning and like and even like the base factions you get a bit more of a varied choice of base factions coming in as well and yeah it looks it's yeah definitely a bit more interesting in that sense yeah it definitely is the there's definitely not i would say like an established meta and i mean with with both the fire and the ice factions not only you know are they two new f- for four total new factions but all the different color uh iterations right so the dragon lords and the acolytes can at least start on any of these different colors and then with the ice factions even more because like they're they still matter on the color wheel but they can start on it anywhere and so like red yetis are very different than green yetis for example um (laughs) yeah yeah this yeah that just changes everything Mm, okay yeah uh, but back to the back to the acolytes specifically, um, you know, I think as I was saying about the scoring, like they uh, they do want scoring in the game, so you know they're going to want a favor tile. Um, scoring bonus tiles are good for them. Um, the big building tile is nice, even though they won't build a stronghold usually because of the workers. 
Um, and then they, unlike the Dragon Lords, are probably a little bit more likely to increase their ship. Um, not so much because they need to for the land, but because they're going to have leftover priests, and obviously they don't have digging to advance. Um, like, one thing you'll run into with the Acolytes is you build two temples in the first couple of rounds, you send a bunch of priests to cults, and then by round four, you've only got two priests in your supply to play with. And so you either have to like convert them to workers or send them for single steps or uh, use them for shipping, none of which are like optimal, but they're not bad. And I would say it's still worth it to like put all the priests down early. Um, but you do often find yourself in that situation. Yeah. And then maybe some ship scoring comes in and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So you said they don't work very well with the stronghold sanctuary distance scoring because yeah you don't want to bring the stronghold and i guess similar to dragon lords you can chew through the edges if you want or you can yeah like yep. pick the corners and get into the distance scoring yeah i think that's right the distance is probably even better for acolytes than for dragon lords because as we just said they'll they're more likely to have shipping um so they can kind of get out to those those corners a little easier um, but edge yeah is really great for for both fire factions cool um and it sounds like they're a bit more difficult to play in in ways because you've got to manage that cult yeah i think they are one of the the trickier factions to to master um there's just a lot of of timing considerations um and uh power management as i mentioned for dragon lords being important is also very important for acolytes but kind of in a different way um, and so the way that it's important for acolytes is when you go down on the tracks, you sort of then open up the ability to regain the power when you go back up the tracks. Um, and so for like example, going from step eight to step five is way worse than going from step seven to step four. Um, because once you go down to step four, coming back up to step five will then get you power back again. Whereas if you are going from step like five to six, you don't get power again. Um, and given that as the acolytes, you know, uh, water two is an interesting favor that, that some acolytes will often get, especially if they like think they're not going to get the two key town or um, the coins plus four coins in a cult step bonus tile is, is really great for them. And they, they claim it often. Um, those single little steps, if you can get power with them in addition to the steps, um, because you managed your your ups and downs well um it's just that many extra resources that is good I, I guess it's also worth mentioning that if you've got a key you can get to the 10 step and you can yes. come in and out as you please right as long as you've got the key to do it yes you can and in fact i remember uh, seeing at one point someone pull a really cool move where they had one key i think is the acolytes and they were up at the top uh, on a 10 spot on some cult. I don't even remember which one it was. And then they were tied with somebody else at nine on another one. And the whatever the other faction was went ahead and passed because they were like, oh, I don't have to close this cult right now because mm. the Acolytes have already used their key. The Acolytes go ahead, drop down on the one, and then so they can go up on the other. Because it's not like the key goes away; it's just limiting how many you can be at the top at any given time. Um, yes, and so that was a really cool maneuver that I remember. Uh, it was a while ago on the Fire and Ice Letter. I could probably find the game. 
Nice, nice. That's yeah, that's a good one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, quite difficult to play. Are they fun to play? I find them, I do find them very fun. I've been, I've found myself picking them more and more recently on the Fire and Ice ladder, especially as I've felt myself get better with them and more confident playing them. Um, I remember it was actually actually my first ever Acolytes win came in game like a one of the top games in the Fire and Ice ladder. I hadn't played them for a while and the setup was good. And I was like, let's just give it a go. And it was back when Ozymandias was still more active and one of the better players. And I was I won that game and I remember him just being like, congrats on what a way to get your first win in the Fire and Ice ladder. And uh, ever since ever since then I felt I've been like kind of a, a convert uh, to the Acolytes. And so yeah, I I much more seek out ways to to play them and if I need, especially if I need to get out of a, a bad color wheel matchup in the initial faction selection, they're like my default at this point, almost when I'm when I'm kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Ozzy, does Ozymandias play on BGA? I guess for the for the I, BGA twerps, easy snowman only. I don't know. I've never seen him on BGA, but. Doesn't mean he's he doesn't. he's he's a big name on particularly fire and ice ladder, right? He's always up there. Yeah. Um, Does he still he play was, now? I, he hasn't been on the ladder for a little while, um, so I I don't know. The, he's not in the top game, but he but he won the top game something like six or seven weeks in a row at one point, um, mm-hmm. which is like that's pretty wild. That's um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think there was definitely a short period of time where i think most if you ask most of the snowman players who was the top player he was he would have been one of the shortlisted names that Mm -hmm. that came up um yeah i don't know maybe he's taken some time away from terra mystica i feel like i haven't seen him for a little while yep yep um and so then regarding countering the acolytes i guess watch for your hexes again can you take some three steps away from them is that a good plan if if they leave them available to you yeah i would say um well what i would say is if there are three steps that you think are going to be particularly valuable grab them as soon as you can um because the acolytes will take them um whenever wherever they can i mean even if you know it's a step that doesn't provide any cult bonuses if it's round three and that three step is there for the acolytes and they have a priest, they'll take it because it's a spade. Um, mm-hmm. So if you, yeah, I would say you, you can definitely counter them by, by taking it early. The other thing that's like a little bit counterintuitive is it can actually be easier to win some cults um, as a lot of factions when the acolytes are in the game, because they often, as I said earlier, are actually going to end up pretty low on most of the cults. Um, mm. So you can be like sneak up in second and, and claim a, a crafty win, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Or like um, in a game where, you know, assuming there's no cultists or anything like that, um, then there can be some interesting late game battles for cult points at lower levels than you're, you're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like fighting for those yeah low yeah, points without many right. priest spots. And conversely, yeah, and conversely, like if you're the cultist, your life is actually pretty nice 
because you can go up on, you might have a harder time sending priests to get some of the early cult bonuses, but like as long as you sort of just steadily march up by the end of the game, you're probably going to get, you know, that 20 plus point cult total scoring pretty easily. Or Orin, I guess, as well, if you've got the strong. Or Orin or, or Chaos Magicians, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, that's really good. Uh, anything else to mention about Acolytes? Um, yeah, I mean, one the one other thing I'll mention that since for this sort of applies for both fire factions um, with regards to the other expansion factions um, is um, the fire factions restrictions on the home territories do not apply to ice factions or to the river walkers. And so if those factions are already in the game, it actually is a good thing usually for acolytes and dragon lords, because it's one more color on the color wheel that you won't have to pay more to transform. Okay, so if yetis are green yetis, you can still transform green hexes for the cheaper price. Is that correct? That is that is correct. Yeah. The only exception is the shapeshifters, um, who whatever color they are on is considered a home color, and so it's still the more expensive. But if they shift, then all of a sudden you can do it on the for the cheap price. So that one's a little that one's a little tricky. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that much more inclined to pick a fire faction after I see an ice faction, uh, come into the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it frees up the color wheel. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 Whereas, whereas conversely, if I'm an ice faction, I actually usually don't want to see a, a fire faction. There's actually, I've seen differing opinions on this, uh, on, board game geek but my my opinion is if you're the ice maidens particularly who are a faction who uh often are a little bit slow to expand the fire factions can be real real thorns in your side um would you say that fire is super effective against ice (laughs) yeah i would (laughs) that's good i hadn't thought of that (laughs) was there is there anything else that you wanted to say about dragon lords that you if you'd remembered anything or any yeah just anything else no yeah no nothing else i mean i think that overall like i would say as we were talking about the fire factions today um i think they're both really fun to play um acolytes more so personally but i know people who really like the dragon lords they're a pain in the ass to play against both of them um they you know strike fear into the hearts of uh, your your low your lowly witches and mermaids sometimes, but um, uh, overall, I don't think they're like overpowered. I think a lot of people, especially newer players, will look at them and think, "Oh, like these guys are so strong," but um, they're really not. In fact, I would say put them both on the on the weaker the weaker end of of the factions. So you know, tread carefully, but have fun would be my uh, advice to anyone who who wants to play them. And I do expect that when we get into an auction format, they will be uh, factions that typically start with a higher number of points, at least in experienced. But yeah, I guess conversely, if you're playing against weaker players, maybe it is a cheap way of getting some (laughs) disruption and yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can, you can screw with some people pretty, pretty easily. Uh, You might make some enemies, but uh, you know, the Targaryens, uh, like, well, like them. So, 
yeah. The other, the other thing I'll mention too is I haven't played with uh, the landscapes with the expansion factions. Oh god. Which is, which is I know as if, as if we need as if we need more complicating factors, oh, no. right? I know. Um, I took a quick so I took a quick look. So I feel we should. I mean, I don't know if they're going to implement them immediately, but I feel like we should at least mention them. Um, and giant grain of salt because I've never actually played it, but. The, the Dragon Lords one is after you build the sanctuary. So they're trying to incent people to build this building that almost never gets built by the Dragon Lords. Um, you get a power income, um, like a power into your bowl income. So it's almost like a spade income uh, each round. Every round. Okay. Yeah. I actually don't think that is particularly strong or game changing. Like, I think it maybe makes them a little bit better because you can basically build the sanctuary instead of the stronghold. Um, and it's, it's going to get you a similar, depending on exactly when you build it, it's going to get you a similar number of tokens, um, probably, and has the benefit of being a sanctuary. So you can, you know, form a town with three and get a favorite tile, but I, I don't think it is that game changing. I think the acolytes one is a little bit more interesting, which says that, uh, when you pass those power thresholds on the cults going down, you get the power. Um, which, like, over the course of a game, that can, for a well-managed Acolyte player, that could be a lot of power. Um, which is really important, because the Acolytes, the Acolytes, you know, we didn't mention this before, they love those worker and coin power actions. Like, you want to hit those all game, as much as you can. Um, and so getting more power to be able to do that... Um, is is really nice so yeah I, I imagine if i ever get around and they implement acolytes plus landscape i think i'll probably probably be getting that one out pretty early mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. good stuff good stuff uh ah thanks for this you talk you yeah. talk about it really well I, I hope so i mean i think between between these conversations and i know zorus is making some videos and then people just going out and uh, trying it themselves. Uh, hopefully it's helpful. Hopefully it's interesting. Um, you know, this is the, this is the kind of discussion actually that I would think someone should probably listen to it, go play a couple games and come back and you'll start understanding some of the more nuanced stuff that we, that we talked about. Um, um yeah, yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, I think that'll be helpful, but I, but I really hope that, um, for all the expansion factions, uh, the the level of play on BGA gets gets up pretty quickly because I think that um, they're they're interesting. They make the game interesting, um, and when people are competitive, um, it'll be it'll be fun to have them there. Um, nice to talk to you, and yeah, thanks for doing this. Absolutely, and I'll look forward to hearing it and seeing what people have to say about the other ones too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. See you later. Awesome. All right. You too. Thanks.